And people, that's the story. That's how people get invited to church. It's just one person inviting another. You know, it could be somebody on your basketball team, somebody you work with, someone you go to school with. You know, statistics are out there that it, somewhere in that 70% of people will say yes if you invite them to an Easter service. And, and that's one of the cool things, whether you're online or you're in this room, is ask somebody, hey, you want to come to church with me? You know, bring them to an Easter egg hunt. Bring them to, uh, you know, an Easter service. I mean, it's the greatest day in the history of mankind. There is not another single day that compares to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what's life-giving. This is why we gather is because of what happened 2,000 years ago on this day. And, and we're excited about it. And, you know, unashamedly, man, we love Jesus and we want other people to love Jesus also. And so, you know, if you've been following with us the last couple weeks, we've been going through what's called the I Am series and um, called Influencer, how Jesus is an influencer in all aspects of our lives. As a church, we've also been reading the book of John together, and we're going through that systematically, and we'd love to have you join us. If you haven't yet, just start in John 1, okay, and just read the story of Jesus' life. And, you know, today, I, I got to be honest with you today. Today has been a really heavy message. I love preaching. A month ago, I was in Egypt preaching, and I was in Kenya the week before that. But this message has just really weighed heavy on my heart. And I, I just want to be honest with you about that as, as we go through. And I think you'll understand why, because we are talking today about what may be the most divisive the most controversial, the most polarizing thing that Jesus ever said. And so today, um, it's going to be a little different. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'll tell you what I told you I was going to tell you, and then at the end, I'm going to tell you what I told you at the beginning I told you I was going to tell you anyway, okay? So hopefully that makes sense, because what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about the statement, Jesus says he is the only way to God. And we're going to talk about the two questions that people need to ask when they start looking at who is the biblical and historical Jesus. Who's the Jesus in this book? That's what we're going to talk about today. But I also want to tell you just in advance, you know, today's message may be hard for some of you. This is one, I believe for some of you, it's going to stir you a little bit. You're going to you're going to shift in your seat a little bit because this may hit at some things that maybe you think that are culturally influenced. Maybe they're things that you've heard on Oprah or you've heard in the classroom, you've heard in music, and you're just like, is, is that right? But we're saying, we're saying something different. So I just want to tell you in, in advance, this may be one of those things. And the good thing is we got text in questions. So if you got questions, text them in and we're going to make Adam answer all those questions. It's going to be fantastic. But this really is something that um, really is polarizing for people. When they hear this message, it's because it's it feels non-inclusive, I guess, is the word. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because today we're going to talk about who does Jesus say he is. And we're going to be in the book of John, and this is going to be chapter 14. Now, if you're new to church, you're new the first time, you're new to the Bible, you know, the Bible's divided basically into two parts, the Old Testament 
everything from creation to a couple hundred years before Jesus. New Testament, from the birth of Jesus to the foundation of the church, you know, maybe 70, 80 years, you know, after the death of Christ. And this is written by John. Now, this isn't John the Baptist. This is John the disciple, the one they say, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This may be the guy that Jesus is closest to. This is John the beloved. And John was an eyewitness to Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He knew Jesus like we want to know Jesus. He knew him intimately. And so we're going to be in John 14, uh, beginning in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can get your Bible out. If you have your phone, get your phone out. Or you can just look at the screen, and you'll see the Scripture there also. So here's what it says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. For there's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, and this is the verse. This is the verse that I believe is the most controversial thing that Jesus ever said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the reason this can feel controversial, because there's a mindset out there that all paths lead to God. You just do you, and I'll do me, and all paths are going to lead to God. I mean, you can, you can see it in the classroom. I was watching this Oprah clip where they're talking about it. And, and that's kind of this methodology and theology out there that all paths lead to God. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And I'm sure some of you sitting there might have that, that thought that, no, I think all paths lead to God. But that's not what he says. That's not what he says. You know, I think sometimes there's a mindset that aren't all religions the same with just a few small minor differences? Aren't they all kind of the same? No. There might be a few minor similarities like, hey, be kind to one another, love each other, but at the root, they're not the same. They're not, they're not the same. And so it's kind of that question. So I never like talking about myself in the third person unless I'm with my friend Leroy. So Steve, you're telling me that two billion Muslims are wrong. That a billion Hindus are wrong. 500 million Buddhists are wrong. 18 million Jews, 16 million Mormons, 8 million Jehovah Witnesses are wrong. Yeah. But I'm not. He is. And, and so here's the, here's the part. I, want, I really want to hand, handle this gently. 
I, I really do. Because sometimes when we hear something like that, the mindset is, well, I just want some ammunition. And I'm going to go tell my friend, my neighbor, well, you're wrong, you know, and start pointing a finger. And it should be just the opposite. This should, be, this should be a message that just breaks our heart and grieves us. It's like, God, I want people to know the truth. I want them to know the truth. You know, when we were in Egypt a, a month ago, I mean, just walking down the street, you know, and, and I, seeing people pursuing something that is empty. And it's like, but Jesus has the answer for people. What it should do, instead of giving us ammunition, you know, it, it should put us on our knees and praying for our neighbors and those around us that don't know Christ, especially as we're going into this Easter week here soon, that we, we're, we got the news. We got the, we got the greatest news in history. You know, and, and it's kind of that mindset, well, isn't it intolerant? Isn't it non-inclusive? Isn't it arrogant? And so let's explore that thought maybe in a peaceable way. Is it intolerant? Well, according to culture today, yeah, it probably is. It probably is. Is it non-inclusive? Well, according to culture, it is. But culture isn't what defines truth. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And as a Christ follower, I am. I'm exclusive about an idea, but I'm inclusive about people. Because everybody can come to the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter who you are or what your story is or where you live or what your fill in the blank. Everybody is welcome to the cross. And that's where the power of the cross happens. That's where the power of the resurrection happens that begins to transform people. You know, it's like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. And here's the thing. Yeah, culture may say that's not inclusive, but we don't need to water down scripture for the greatest message in the world. We don't need to water it down. We don't need to make it palatable for people by giving mistruths. And in our society today, there's a very strong push that truth is subjective, that values and, and morals are transient. And sometimes we just don't know how to respond because maybe we're afraid of offending them. Maybe we're afraid that we just don't know the answers. And so, and so I hope you hear my heart in this. My, my heart is we want everybody to know. I mean, I have a family with, that has you know relatives that aren't following Christ. I have friends that don't follow Christ. I have I, I don't have coworkers because I work here. <laughs> Man. <laughs> well, there's one I'm a little questioning, but I think we're okay for that. But here's the thing. You know, God loves that Buddhist man that I met in Beijing. He loves that Hindu woman I met in Bangkok, and he loves that Muslim child that I met in Alexandria. He loves them, and he wants them to know the truth. He wants them to know the truth. So here's the thing. So what we need to do is, first of all, we need to figure out what is the truth? Who is this historical, biblical Jesus that we're talking about? 
We need to know that because what, what it's about is the ex, it's called the exclusivity of Christ. That Christ is enough. Christ and no more. That Christ is enough. And honestly, I believe this with all my being. I believe this book from start to finish. It's transformed my life. It's transformed my family. It's transformed people around me. It's the power of Christ unto salvation. And so when, when we look at this, we really need to look at two questions. Remember at the beginning I said, I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna tell you, and I said there's two questions. We need to look at these two questions. Who do you say Jesus is, and how do you get to heaven? So let's just talk about those two questions, okay? Because first, let's figure out what, what does a Bible-following, Christ-following Christian believe? And so I, what I did is I, I picked out five things that really are non-negotiables. These are truths that we can compare and hold other things to this. First, that Christ existed from the beginning and he created all things. And if you look in Colossians 1, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. He made the things we see and the things we can't, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So he existed from the beginning and he created all things. Second, that he's God. When we talk about the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. And you can go to John 1, uh, beginning in, in verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we have the Word and God. These words are synonymous. The Word was God. And then you go to verse 14, and it says, the Word, the word God, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's who Jesus is. He's God incarnate. He's God in a bod. Okay? He came and he walked this earth. So he existed from the beginning. He created all things. He is God. Third, he lived a sinless life. He lived a sinless life. In 2 Corinthians verse 5, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's extremely important that he was the perfect sacrifice. Perfect sacrifice. That he could die on the cross, just like you heard Lexi talking about, believing in the Christ on the cross, the resurrected Christ, because he, he took our place. He took our place. The fourth thing, remember, he existed from the beginning. He is God. He lived a sinless life. And fourth, he bore our sins and was resurrected. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Christ died for our sins. If you're looking for a verse that explains the gospel clearly, go to 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Christ died for our sins, just as scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. That's the gospel. Jesus came, he died, he, he raised again. That's, that's the simple gospel. And then the fifth thing, that are these non-negotiables here. It's like, hey, who is this Jesus? And I know coming into this room today, online today, we really have two types of people. We have people that are here saying, you know, I came to church because I'm seeking. I, 
My, maybe my marriage is falling apart. My family's falling apart. I've, I've dealt with trials and transitions. And we're just, or you were invited by somebody and you're trying to explore who is this Jesus? We also have people in this room that are followers of Jesus. And, and so the question for you is going to be, what do you do with this? What do you do with this message? And we're going to end with that question and address that. Because the fifth thing is he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. In John 14, it says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Those are five non-negotiables about the person of Christ. If any of those don't match up, I would say that is not someone that's following the biblical historical Jesus, those five things. The second question that we want to address today is, so how do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? You know, I've heard all sorts of things, you know, you turn, Bugs Bunny would say you turn left in Albuquerque, you know, for all us old people, well, maybe none of us get that joke. I get the joke. It's funny in my mind, but how do you get to heaven? You know, it says you believe in Jesus Christ in Ephesians 2. It says, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a gift. I don't have to earn salvation. It's a gift that Christ gives me. He loved me that much, and he said, Steve, follow me. And what what I've learned over the years is You know, there's this difference between believing and following Christ. Because scripture says even the demons believe. So it has to be more than that. And the word I keep coming back to is follow. In Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus is calling his disciples, he says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And he tells disciple after disciple, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he tells me the same thing, follow me. Whatever I do, you do. It's like playing follow the leader, you know, at the elementary playground. Whatever Jesus says, do it. You know, so often we just sit back and we're just a spectator. And it's like, I'm not sure I want to be a participant. But Jesus is saying, would you follow me? It's good. I got a great plan for your life. I want you to experience that fullness that he has. So back to that question, do all paths lead to God? Well, if we're holding up Jesus as the standard, the answer is no. The answer is no. And so as a result, you think about this. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can make three conclusions. You can say, well, Jesus is a liar. He knew he was deceiving people. You can say, well, Jesus is a lunatic. The guy's just crazy. He thinks he's God. Or he's the Lord. Jesus is who he said he is. And that's the question I think all men and women have to wrestle with is, who do you say Jesus is? Is he the Lord? Or is he a liar? Or is he a lunatic? And which one? You know, when we take those two questions and we hold up, you know, some of these world religions to it, we can ask those same two questions. Who do they say Jesus is? You know, if you look at Islam, you know, they would say Jesus is not divine. He's not God. They would say Jesus did not die on the cross. He was not resurrected. He was replaced on the cross by someone else. And most think it was probably Judas. 
And how do you get to heaven as a Muslim? Well, it's, it's done through good works. Your personal righteousness has to outweigh your personal sin. You hope you're good enough to get in. Scripture says, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and so as a Muslim, they follow these, what's called the five pillars of Islam. That you got to follow these five faithfully. Shahada, the profession of faith. Salah, you, they pray five times daily. Third is zakah, that they, they give to the poor. They're expected to give 2.5% of everything they have you know, to those in need. Psalm, they're supposed to uh, fast during Ramadan. Ramadan begins this weekend. For one month, every Muslim on the planet is supposed to be fasting from sunup to sundown. As a Christian, you know, would you consider praying, maybe fasting once a week, that, that God would reveal himself during this time? You know, I think of Isaiah, because I always wonder, it's like, you know, when we were in Egypt, we heard several stories of how Muslims come to faith. Many of them, over half of them, they say, come the same way. God gives them a dream of this man in white. And then I, I turn to Isaiah 65, and it says, I, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. God reveals himself. You know, would you pray, you know, for Muslim men and women around the globe here in our area? You know, Hinduism, a billion Hindus, you know, who do they say Jesus is? Well, they think he's a holy man. They think he's a perfect example of self-realization. That's who they say Jesus is. And at the root, Hinduism is polytheistic. Poly meaning many, theistic, God. You know, that there's 300 million gods in the Hindu religion. And so how do you get to the afterlife? It's once you're freed from this cycle of reincarnation, you're freed from bad karma, that's how they get to the afterlife. They earn it. They earn it through their good works here on earth. Buddhism with 500 million uh, Buddhists, you know, they believe Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. And so how does a Buddhist get to the afterlife in their theology? Well, it requires a denial of desire, following this eightfold path, having a right view, intention, speech, action, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, and right concentration. So that's what a Buddhist is trying to do. A Buddhist is trying to deny desire. But then we get to maybe some religions that tend to be a little closer to our home, you know, like with Mormonism, you know, lots of Mormons live in this area. I grew up with lots of Mormons, you know, that are friends, you know, and, and I, I want them to experience the biblical Jesus. You know, who is Jesus according to Mormon theology that he was created? He's not the creator. He's not God. He was the spirit brother of Lucifer. And he was a man that progressed to becoming a God. And how does a Mormon achieve heaven? It's by fulfilling certain commandments that they have. And the theology is, as a man that's devout, he too will become a God. Inherit his planet, place, and populate that. 
So at the root, Mormonism really is a polytheistic God. That as, if I was a devout man in the Mormon church, I could become a God. I could become a God. You know, with Judaism, they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Jehovah Witnesses believe Jesus was Michael the Archangel. And so when you look at those six world religions and you hold it up to scripture, you know, you go back to the very first statement, you know, are they wrong? Well, according to this, yes. According to this, yes. Because they can't all be right. Jesus said he's the only way. He's the only way. You know, and what should be driving us, you know, is just a love for people. You know, all week I've just been wrestling with how to end this message. You know, Shelly's up in the tech booth and she's got slides ready, but I feel like God wants us to go a different direction. You know, when I hear this message and, and I look at the state of the world, thinking six, over six billion people aren't following the biblical Jesus. They aren't following the biblical Jesus. And I, I think about Mark chapter eight. And I feel like we're supposed to land here today. Jesus is with his disciples I'm in Mark 8, uh, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others say you're one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked them, and this is the same question I want to ask you. For those of you online, it's the same question I want to ask you. Who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? And Peter replied, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And that's, that's the question that we want to wrestle with today. You know, if you came into this room, if you tuned in somehow online through one of our venues, who do you say Jesus is? You know, if you have never put your faith in Christ, I want to talk to you guys first. You know, you're here, you're exploring, you're inquisitive, somebody brought you, but your conviction is this is true, that the Bible is true. Jesus is who he said he is. The question is, what do you do with that? If you're not a follower of Christ, you know, here in just a couple minutes, I'm gonna give you a chance to put your faith in Christ. Because you're not saved by your works, you're saved by your faith. And we can do that right here in this room, you can do it right wherever you're watching. To begin this life with Christ, you know, like in 1 John 5, it says, whoever has the Son has life. 
Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to those of you who believe so that you may know you have eternal life. There's a security in knowing my faith is grounded in the Christ of Scripture. You can know that today. You can know that you're secure in your faith. You can, it doesn't matter what your past is. It, there's people that are coming in, in, in this place and watching that maybe your past, you are so far from God, but you're saying, I want to start today. God's saying, come. You may think, I've had this perfect life and I've, I've lived a problem-free life. I have everything I need. But you know deep down, you're missing the one main thing. That there's a void in your life and you know Christ is saying, would you just come? Would you just finally surrender and quit trying to do it on your own and earn your way? Would you just come? Now, for those of you that are followers of Christ, the question is, what do you do with this message? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, what did he tell the disciples? He told the disciples, go. Go tell somebody. Go quickly and tell. He told them as the last verses in Matthew and Mark and Luke, he said, go into all the nations and tell them the good news. And for you, until you get on an airplane, your nation's right here. Your nation's wherever you are watching this. Those are the people that God wants you to reach. He wants you to do it. He wants you to do it. Some people say, well, that's Pastor Dan's job. You know, we could rent out Seahawks Stadium or Mariner Stadium, 47,130 seats. We can put chairs on the ground, bring 50,000 people into Mariner Stadium, and Dan could preach the gospel, and all 50,000 come to faith in Christ, every single one. Tomorrow night, Dan could do the same thing, and another 50,000 come, and they all get saved and put their faith in Christ. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. On that method, for everybody on this planet to come to the spot of putting their faith in Christ, it would take Pastor Dan 300 years at 50,000 people a day to reach 5.5 billion people that aren't following Christ. 300 years, but, you know, you saw Adam and Krista up here. What if Adam spent a year discipling Krista? And the next year, the two of them went out and they each found one person. They find my niece, Erin, and her husband, Zach, and they disciple him for a whole year. And the next year, the four of them go out. Then the eight, then the 16, the 32, 64, 128, the 256, 512, 1028. And it just keeps multiplying every year. It would take, to reach those same people, it would take 32 years to reach the planet. 300 or 32. But what if the church woke up? That first song, Rise Up, O Sleeper. What if the church woke up and every Christ follower, and we'll just say there's a billion, okay? Give or take. I don't, God knows. I don't know. We'll say a billion. If they would each reach one person this year, disciple that person. Next year, now we have two billion going out. Then we have four. And then we've reached everybody. We want Dan's model for 300 years. Adam's model for 32 years, or Christ's model 
for three years. Before some of these kids graduate from high school, every person on the planet could hear the gospel of Christ. Every person. So that's why it's so important. Invite somebody. Invite somebody. So here's how we're going to end. You know, we're going to end by praying. And I told you, you know, if you're seeking Christ, we're going to give you a chance in this prayer to put your faith in Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come up front. This is between you and Christ. If you're online, you can pray wherever you are. If you're driving, pull over. Okay? <laughs> if you're driving, you shouldn't be walking. Well, anyway. And so we're going to take a minute and pray. And then I'm also going to pray for you as a follower of Christ. And we're going to wrap up that way. Let's pray. Jesus, the most important decision that any man, any woman, any boy, any girl will ever make is to put their faith in you. God, for people in this room and watching that are ready to do that, God, just in the silence of their heart, that they would pray something like this. I believe I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And God, today I choose to follow you, to come into relationship with you, and to follow you for the rest of my days. God, change me into the person you want me to be and reveal yourself to me. And for those of you that are followers, Jesus, we pray for them, for myself also. God, stir us. Open our eyes to see the need, to see that person, just like we saw in the video, Lord, that's hungry for something real. Something deep. Something that gives life. God, let it begin with us. And God, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.